could do an entire podcast conversation about your shoes. Which, Thank you. I, I can actually talk for Tell me a little bit about, about these them. shoes. Uh, these are Palladiums, sir. Okay. They look a lot like Chuck Taylor Converse, but yep. they're infinitely more comfortable. And I think I saw them on the web at some point and bought them sight unseen. And they are now my go-to shoes. They're like platforms almost. They're, a little they're, bit, not really. Yeah. Your foot kind of gets in there. They're extremely comfortable. These are actually my dress Palladiums. You can see because they look spiffy. Yep. I have another pair that are just sort of knocking around types. Oh, these are the dress ones. These are the, that's why they're so clean. Because I'm going to be around yeah. people. Opposed to, you know, I'm working at home and wearing my shoes. Some, uh, did you see the new, the new uh, uh, Converse All-Stars? There's, there's version 2.0. I've seen them, and I want to try them on because yeah. I hear they're more comfortable. Yeah, I think, they're, I think they've got air. After 50 years of uh, yeah. not updating the line at all, they're finally I loved hearing the commentary on it, yeah. which was, you know, it's like, yeah, so they've made, you know, Chuck Taylor Converse more comfortable. Why? It's like, stop that. I know you're being punk rock, but just stop it. Okay, let's. This let's. was, well, the funny thing is, is, like, the biggest, like, honestly, like, the biggest change in the history of Converse was, I think, about 10 or 15 years ago, they started making them in Mexico. And to me, that's a much bigger. <laughs> yeah. Impact. Greater concern. Yeah. Then, like, yeah, we're making the Chuck Taylor Converse look exactly the same. Here's another one. You don't have to buy this version. Right. Just another this one. Is for other people. It's not new Coke. Yeah. We're still leaving them out there. Yeah. There's the old Chuck Taylor classics and these, which are slightly more comfortable. For those of us who are, you know, the one complaint, how would sure. you change Chuck Taylor Converse? Uh, could they, I don't know, they're kind of uncomfortable no. after a while. It's like, oh, well, we'll fix that. I'm older than 30. Yeah. I Perhaps know. I would like, you know, to not have lower back pain as I walk <laughs> around. I'm wearing these shoes. shoes yeah. <laughs> I, I got the new book in, in the mail this week, and, and what immediately got to me, the, the, I opened it up, and you, you just—it's like it's part—it's the first of a six-part series. Yeah. And you just—you toss people right in there. Yes. There's no there's no preamble. No. Right in the middle of the action. I kind of like that. Yeah. I, I I often like it's for me. It feels like a trope when you sure. jump in and we're in the action, and yeah. then you jump back, and I mean. My wife has been watching television with me long enough that she can actually do it, too. We're watching an opening action sequence of any random show. It could have happened on last week's episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. Some big action thing, and then you cut to black. It's like, 72 hours earlier. Like, But I like sure. it. When I see that, it always makes me happy. Yeah. Like, great, now we see how that's set up. I like the idea I was able to do that with the book. It was, it was sort of a kind of a, I, I got like a movie-esque feel to it. I don't see a lot of comic books, at least like, you know, books aimed at younger readers that, that quite open that way. I wanted to make it feel like they were actually watching a movie. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've joked like, well, I haven't joked. I said it quite seriously at one point. It's like a movie you can hold in your hands. Sure. Except you can't actually hold a movie in your hands. Yeah, now. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, exactly yeah, work. Fair. But yeah. I, I wanted it to feel a little bit like a Pixar yeah. movie. You know, it was an all-ages film that had action, was like, played for a lot of jokes. You know, the, no one goes to a Pixar movie and say like, no, it's going to be humorless. It's going to be a drama. No, it's but they're not comedies; they're sure. they're adventures. Well, and then and then there's the you know the first five minutes of Up, yeah, which is just oh yeah, <laughs> which just tears your heart out. It's wonderful and it's silent. And I, I saw somebody on on the train right over here. I saw somebody who looked exactly like Ed Asner's character in Up, and it and Carl that, Fredrickson. I have children. I've watched it quite often. <laughs> it just it, but but that's all it took to trigger. Oh, just get <laughs> a little moment back yeah, there. Exactly. It's like look at that guy yeah. looks like looks like Carl Fredrickson. Carl, Carl's wife died. No. Oh my God! Oh no! It was like PTSD or something. I was like <laughs> right, back right back at that moment. Uh, <laughs> no, but but you know, I, I I think I think what what I'm kind of getting at here that you know I, I appreciate is there's no there's no hand holding. 
which is oh thanks the, you know that I mean that's kind of the impulse for children's books right that yes is to sort of is to talk down yeah and I I don't get that either yeah. um, I wanted to do one that when moms and dads were reading it they didn't want to you know they didn't want to stick a knife in their ear you know it's like it's just thoughtful like, of you. Um, I, I try yeah. I tried to be there for the people but there's no reason you can't do a book that's that is truly all ages yeah. that is funny for the kids you know enjoyable for the adults but Again, the only, truly, the only thing I made, the concessions I made to make it an all-ages book, to make it for kids, is that I, I was mindful of my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Like, not too many SAT words. Um, it's more action than violence. Um, and I didn't want to do violence. I actually just wanted to. Yeah. And there's a difference. I mean, I think sometimes people forget. There's a huge difference between action and violence. It really is. Um, and, uh, and I had to cut out all the cursing. <laughs> Aside from that, it's pretty much like any other story I would do. Cut it out as, as it was it there in the initial draft? Were there a lot of F bombs? No, no, no. I think about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of scenes when, you know, the, when the boys are running away from a giant robot yep. and screaming, ah! yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, the funniest thing would be for them to be screaming, fuck! Well, that, that's the, uh, you know, that's the, the kind of the old Disney thing, right? Is you, you draw Jessica Rabbit naked and then you paint the dress over her. Yep, exactly. You know, a little fun for everybody. Yeah. It's fun for us to make it that way, yeah. you know. You, you've, you've done all ages books for uh, for some. I mean, the first you know uh, the, the the first book that was on my radar aside from Pedro and me was uh, Barry Ween, which is also kind of family Not, friendly. Well, no, he says fuck every third word. Oh, I, I must have a very different memory of that book. Well, that's I, that, isn't that, that weird? What happens in in hindsight, like well, a few years later? I appreciate the fact that you're looking at like you know the story, like you're yeah. thinking about it, like no, it's funny. The story's sweet. It's not. There's no sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no real violence. Yeah. But Barry says, fuck, every yeah. third word. Now, I've had parents come up to me yeah. you know, long before I did Hilo. And uh, he said, yeah, my son loves that. I was like, yeah, how old's your son? And so I'm like, signing the book. He's like, he's 10. It's like, you let your 10-year-old read this? Because it's just like, it's, yeah. uh, he, there's harsh language. Just words. But, yeah, that's, what, that's where they're yeah. at. It's like, it's just a harsh language. Like, it's a funny book. They try, they're telling me. Like, and it's a good story. I like it. You know, they're friends. He looks out for his buddy. It's like, okay, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. If they, if they don't have an issue with the language, then you're right. It is somewhat an all-ages story. Again, you know, um, I dig that. It was, and for me, it was actually good training to lady to, later do high low. Well, th- you know, that, and that, that, that's been something that I've, I've been thinking a lot about over the past, like, like 10, 10 years or so is, um, you know, there's this big, big push, late 80s, early 90s, after all the Frank Miller, Alan Moore stuff, you know, yeah. all these, um, it's, speaking of tropes, I mean, you know, the biggest one in comics journalism, or actually non-comics journalism about comics was... Comics aren't just for kids anymore. How zap? Yeah, crash. Comics aren't for kids anymore. Which, was, which is all well and good, uh, you know. It's, uh, but at the same time, the big question is then what happened to all of those comics? Yeah, we blew, yeah. I mean, I, I, we, we blew it. Yeah, I mean, we blew it. You're absolutely right. Yeah. The pendulum swung uh, just swung Too far. so far. Yeah. Uh, and I was one of those cats. I mean, I, 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 I have no problem. I don't regret anything we've done. Uh, but we definitely made comics so. Um, dark's the wrong word. They're intense. Gritty, I hear Gritty, thrown around a lot. Gritty's good. Yeah. That's one. And then yeah. The stories are when uh, I'm some 45. Some of them are dark, though, to yeah, be so, fair. There some are, some are real pitch dark. black, dark, yeah. unreal. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've done comics where people get their heads cut yeah. off. I don't show it, but it's those implied, things are it's pl- yeah. more than implied. <laughs> I've, had, I've had Jason Todd, Red Hood, throw sure. a duffel bag full of heads yep. on a table and say, that duffel bag's full of heads. Yeah. 
Um, Somewhere between those heads being attached to bodies. Yeah, and it not happens being off camera. To bodies, but you know, those the, heads were chopped the off. implication of decapitation <laughs> happens yeah. there. Um, so yeah, we worked so hard to try and make these stories, which were for the grown-ups and the older yeah. kids. I think we forgot that when we were kids. You know, I'm 45, and when I was a kid. Um, Comics were all ages. You know, you. I mean, I was 9 and 10 years old, and I read comics. Yeah. And they weren't dumbed down either. Yeah. Like, cl- you know, Claremont and Byrne X-Men, they weren't dumbing it down. They were yeah. doing. They were just doing their stories. Yeah. Fantastic Four, um, you know, and uh, and Batman. I mean, DC I always felt was more family-friendly than Marvel ever was. Save for Batman. Yeah. Batman was always well, somewhere in the shadows. You know, before Jason Todd got killed. Yeah. Batman, I mean, and even in like a couple issues before that arc, because I read up yeah. on it when I was doing it, you saw Batman walking down the street in the middle of the day, like talking to somebody on the stoop. Okay, well, maybe that, you know, okay, there's early Batman. <laughs> you know, they're like, they're really. Right. You know, the, the, he was dark. Yeah, yeah. And then the 50s and 60s happened. Yeah, no, and Adam West happened. Right. And, yeah. But then he became Superman. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And Frank Miller blew it all open. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, that was, that was a seismic shift. Sure. Things started drifting in that direction. And then he did that. And then, you know, and Watchmen was roughly around the same time. You know, you know I, I realized this like a year or two ago, and I'm surprised nobody, people don't talk about this more. 1985, uh, Watchmen, Dark Knight, Mouse, all same year. All same year. I was about talk to say about Mouse. like yeah. the seismic like, year. Boom. Yeah. You know, and like everything changed. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, that's probably around the time I started calling them graphic novels for mm-hmm. lack of anything else. Yeah. They wanted to be able to sell them in stores, yeah. so I had a name. Yeah. So began the graphic novel, sure. and then people outside of fanboys and fangirls were confused because they thought it meant pornography. <laughs> it's like, no, that's not porn graphic, meaning it's drawn yeah. with, that's graphically told. Fuck, whatever, too late. Yeah. Sorry, it happened. Um, I didn't realize all three were in 85, but yeah, yeah. that was the year. Um, after that, I think we all wanted to kind of start moving that direction. I mean, and that's what just so three years ago, my son, who was seven years old at the time, uh, and was getting into his superheroes. He's seven years old and wants, you know, to read some superhero sure. comics. And he asked, "Can I read your Batman book?" <laughs> I had to say no. <laughs> I wanted. I, I, I need to ask you about the, about the Catwoman thing. Yeah, that was kind of a. There was a moment around that, around the. Uh, oh sure, no, yeah. you go on the moment. They, 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 yeah, sort of. On one side, you call it a trumped-up controversy. The sure. other is like, so. But you must have known. I mean, it, it was a sex scene. I don't want to say graphic, but like again, it was a lot of cleavage. Things were heavily implied. Okay, so to, 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 to explain to those playing at home, yeah. uh, on my first issue of Catwoman, which was in the launch of the New Fifty Two, which I, I want to say was three, four years ago, something like that. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, it uh, it ends with uh, Batman and Catwoman making out. Starting to pull their costumes off, yeah. and it, it's uh, implied is the wrong word. I think she said, I, I want to say implied, but I think I might even said it. They, basically, the implication is like, when we leave this comic now, yeah. when we cut to commercial, they're going to have sex. You know that, that, that scene in The Naked Gun where the, uh, the train comes out of the station <laughs> and the oil derricks are... <laughs> exactly. And we cut away to the fireplace, yeah. and people are putting hot dogs yep. in the buns and yep. things like that. So, like that. Yeah. So without trying to hide it at all, the implication is that they, yeah, they yeah. had sex. Got it. And on. and some people lost their goddamn mind. Yeah. Um, which didn't surprise me per se. I think I was surprised a bit that uh, that we were accused of being misogynist, um, which made me uncomfortable. Like being yeah. in the position of having to defend myself or even defend the comics. Like, yeah, okay, 
Gil March draws very sexy women. Yeah. Yes, there's lots of cleavage in here. Yes. Um, do I apologize for that? No, it's Catwoman. I think I said maybe 5,000 times before the book came out that this is going to be a sexy book. Yeah. Almost like letting everybody know is sort of coming. Um, but, you, but, you know, when, when, when something like that happens and, it, and these sorts of controversies seem to be coming up more and more often. Right. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of times are, in fact, warranted. Like, there is a lot of misogyny yeah. around the comics industry. And, you know, thankfully it's becoming a lot more inclusive walking around a show like this or, or especially a smaller show like you know mocha spx yeah or ape in san francisco you know mm-hmm. there's there are a lot more female fans um so I, many more but i think the thing is to to sort of like not to not get defensive immediately right. to say to listen to people a little bit yeah when they're but did you feel that people were just making controversy for the sake of making controversy i i thought it was an odd there were two camps that came up right yeah. away. I mean, you know, among readers who had utterly no problem with it. Well, almost three camps. Utterly no problem with it, don't care. There was a camp, a smaller camp, I felt, who was really angry about just the idea. It, yeah. um, it, it felt like, uh, it felt for me, it felt a little prudish. It's like the idea, like, what Catwoman, if she has sex with Batman, that I, like, what women are not supposed to have or enjoy yeah. sex. Um, yeah. You know, it's like nothing we did was any raunchier than what you would see on Grey's Anatomy. Really. I mean, probably less so. So I think it was the idea yeah. of this character sleeping with Batman. And if they continued reading, which many of them didn't, it's like, yeah, this was supposed to be about a poor decision on her part. I mean, eventually I got to say out loud months and months later, um, it's like, look, this was about she's a thief. The dumbest thing she could do would be getting involved with Batman. Yeah. And by the way, it's such a real dumb thing for Batman to do. I was trying to set up a relationship where these are two people who just cannot help themselves. It wasn't, um, it wasn't something that I was trying to overtly play up the sex of it. It was actually trying to get in the heads of the characters a little bit. She is someone who makes very, very bad decisions, and she pays for them. And he, the Dark Knight, actually has a side of him that he, he's he actually is someone who has desire. Um, I mean, that's what we were talking about yeah. internally. It's like, I actually like the idea that Batman... Is suddenly a sexual being. I think people wigged out about that too. They didn't yeah. like the idea. Yeah. Like, no, like they. I some people even literally said like Batman's not interested in sex. No, this 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 rich billionaire playboy. Right. he's not having any sex. No, that's just an act. Yeah. He's actually Batman. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit about any of that. And Catwoman, even though she is just oozes sex and always yeah. has, the idea of actually her having sex. Oh, that's that's gross. You're misogynist. That's you know detrimental to women as a as a community as a as as a gender it's like guys it's just you know yeah. they just slept together well, to, to me I mean, to me the, the 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 irony of it is and this sort of gets back to what we were talking about before in terms of um, all ages books and and what people specifically find offensive is that again heads in a duffel bag right ultra violence extreme violence <laughs> no one said squat okay but, <laughs> but there's something about sex yeah. I mean, it's I, the same with movies, right? I mean, it's the same with things getting R ratings that you mm-hmm. can blow up and kill and all these other things. But, you know, a couple of men kissing and getting yeah, an R rating. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I did books that were absolutely had a lot of violence yeah. in there. No one said anything. Um, I have a couple of very prominent characters in popular culture finally have sex. And, uh, you know, and the building comes down. Yeah. Uh, I was. Uh, not entirely surprised, but uh, uh, surprised at the, the, the level of passion and anger that went into that. Um, I don't regret doing it. Uh, it, did, it, still, it still makes me sad. 
um, the reaction. Yeah, because yeah. you know, it's I, I had no way of saying like, "Hey, you guys know I'm not that guy, right?" Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's. <laughs> and like, I actually thought Selena Kyle, the one I was doing, is like, I think she's a really strong character who has so many flaws. Like, I wanted to create a yeah. flawed character, and well, and it's one of those things where it's you know, it's like if you are a good person, then you being called the m-word is like being called a racist or being called homophobic it's yeah. really like yeah it, it it gets you and rightfully so no it did yeah. i really had those moments like really me do you think did, did you, you did you did you second guess yourself no no i mean maybe um, maybe i do hate women no never <laughs> i knew where the story was going yeah i knew i knew like what i had in my head and what we were putting there on the page is that it's like no this is more about yeah. uh Part, I think part of it is that some of it is just we as Americans. We're, 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 we're uptight about sex. And using sex as a character trait, yeah, as, as like a mistake that someone would make, like, no, you shouldn't run into a burning building, or stealing that like in broad daylight, yeah. that's dumb, or you shouldn't be friends with him, Selena, that's dumb, or like don't go after that Russian gangster out of revenge, he'll kill you. Those things are okay. Sleeping with Batman, which I thought, like, this is this, this great stupid thing for her to do. This great mistake where she is, you know, uh, she's throwing a knife up in the air and trying to catch it, not, you know, with her with a blindfold on. It's a dumb thing to do. I, I, here's what I think ultimately one of the big issues is, is that, you know, when you are working on a book like Catwoman or, or Batman, you know, there's a certain expectation that... Um, it's a book that people are just going to pick up, that people are going to see Batman, that they're going to just stumble on it, you know, and that they're not necessarily going to see things out to fruition. So you can't treat it like you would treat, you know, like a, a uh, like your current book. Not that there's going to be a lot of sex scenes in Highland, right. but but you can't you can't treat it the way you would treat a b- book that somebody is going to sort of like invest themselves into that whole thing. You're just, right. it, you know, it's like writing an episode of a TV show. Right. In right. A way. You're just kind of like entering that larger universe. Yeah. It's true. It's true. There is there is that double-edged sword. Yeah. I mean, it's in general, superhero books are very, very hard because um, you're writing a character just from A to B. You, can, you can't write the whole alphabet. You yeah. can't change them. They can't fundamentally change. They well, can't... Ma- you know. Maybe from R to S, you know, because there's a yeah, whole, right. whole alphabet before Exactly. There's a whole yeah. alphabet before that you yeah. can't even touch and it's already established yeah. and it's there. So you're exactly right. Um, so when you find those little moments, nuances, acts, things that they can do, which doesn't really move the dial, but gives another dimension to the character. You kind of jump on it. I know that's a very high-minded way of talking about Catwoman and Batman having sex, (laughs) but I actually was thinking about it in a very high-minded way. So when it finally came back to me, like, you know, no, that's man. It's like, you know, that is is rough on women, and it's rough on, you know, you're demeaning the character. Like, oh, man, really? (sighs) Uh, So... Yeah, that one was that one was kind of rough. I will say that I came into comics writing Green Lantern, um, you know, over a decade ago, and uh, so I before we were called haters, um, I had plenty of haters. Once once you hit Batman, I mean, you know, yeah. you've, that's your was that was that kind of the pinnacle? Did you? gotten to where you wanted to be was that was that the ultimate goal when he started writing comics to to work on a you know a big iconic character yes and no um i didn't i didn't feel it, i did not have that moment like i'm right i'm yeah. right batman I've, i'm on the moon i'm planting my flag sure. it was uh it was always cool doing the big characters you know i would 
Ed Brubaker and I would always joke. Ed wrote Ratman for a number of years, and we joked about um, this, is, this is a couple years back before superheroes sort of entered the mainstream in such a way. Like, so what book? What, what, what do you do? It's like I write superhero comics. Oh, anything I would have heard of? It's like Green Arrow. This poor Arrow became a TV yep. show. It's like Green Arrow. Is that is that the uh, is that the guy with the car? And no, I think you're thinking of Green Hornet. Hornet yeah. It's like, oh right. The is ring. that the same thing? Like, no, this is a guy. Yeah. He's got a bow and arrow yeah. and something like. Isn't that? Isn't he in the Avengers? Like, no, you're you're thinking a Hawkeye. <laughs> and so we would joke about like when you got to write Batman. Yeah. Anybody on the street, you yeah. can meet anybody. Yeah. Some guy's mom. It's like I write superhero comics. What comic? I write Batman. Yeah. It's like oh, oh, I know Batman. Oh, you write the superhero comic. The superhero yeah. comic. Do you get to work on the movies? No, no, just just the comic yeah. books. Thank you, man. But you know, there's fun in that. There really is. Sort of just that. Um, you finally get to, to have one that, you know, crosses cradle to grave. Everybody yeah. gets it. Um, and also, don't get me wrong, there is nothing more fun as a fanboy when you're finally getting to write Batman and Joker. You know, you're, you're getting to write Batman and Joker, and it's the best. And for me, I got lucky that I came up with a story that was working in a way that I could really write Batman and the Joker that, you yeah. know, has kind of come apart. You know, it's like a bit of canon now, you know? It's still out there. I like that Jason Todd is still out there in any way, shape, or yeah. form. It's, I, I'll be, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see you going in that direction. You know, I, was, you, you know, I, I picked up Pedro Me. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, this is a guy who's going to be doing graphic novels, whatever right. that means. It surprised me that, you know, that you've been working in superhero comics. Surprised me too. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's and that's and I think that's one of the reasons. I wouldn't say one of the reasons why I stopped. It was it was about ten or eleven years doing superhero comics. It's a good and run. It was for any job, really. Yeah. yeah. No, on um, it, I kind of fell into it. I did Pedro and me. I was doing Barry Ween. Um, I was still a full time cartoon as far as I was concerned. And when the opportunity came up to write superhero comics, like yeah, oh man, like yo, this is a great gig. Sure. Mm-hmm. And. The more I got into it, the more I got, you know, I got to play with the big toys. Yeah. And it yeah. was always, I'm doing superhero comics and working on something else. Um, I mean, at my busiest, I was, like, I think I was working on a Barry Ween book. I was uh, doing an animated series for Cartoon Network called mm-hmm. Lifetime's Juniper yeah. Lee yeah. and writing The Red Hood all pretty much at the same yeah. time, um, which that was in my younger days. And that was fun and that was great. And sometime after that, there was a feeling of like, yeah, I don't think I want to do 10 things at once anymore. And then there was like a five-year period where I'm writing superhero comics, I'm developing live-action TV, and I'm not actually a cartoonist anymore. Even though people ask me, what do you do? It's like, I, yeah. you know, I'm a cartoonist. Oh, well, I've seen, I know I'm lying to them and myself. Like, I haven't drawn anything in five years. I mean, you know, I do design work yeah. on my own show and punch yeah. up a storyboard, yeah. but I'm not actually a cartoonist who sits down at a drafting table and makes sure. something. And uh, that was weighing on me a lot right around the time. It was kind of coming to a head right around the time my son asked, can, you, can I read Batman? And it was sort of like, oh, no, this yeah. is sometimes this is how life works. You, you get these messages. Yeah. <laughs> well, there, but there's also, you know, I, I've got to imagine that Pedro Me was that your first book? Is that your first sort of Kind novel? of, yeah. That yeah. no, was my first graphic novel. It was and, in and 2001. Talk about, you know, the sense that you get when you worked. How long did you work on that book for? Oh, that was like three years. So you worked on a book, the book three years. Yeah. It came out. It was in the world. People read it and, and loved it. And there's mm-hmm. a sense of accomplishment that you don't necessarily get when you're working on a, a monthly book, for example. No, you don't. No, it's, it's, it's a totally different thing. Yeah. It's, um, 
And as I, I, that's how I always treated the superhero comics. I treated, I mean, they were fun, and they were always supposed to be fun. When they stopped, when they started being a little more work yeah. than fun, don't get me wrong, it's always work. They're always challenging. It's yeah. not like, it's the easiest thing in the whole world. It's yeah, like, but talk about first world problems, John. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, it's just like eating ice cream. Yeah. It's like, you know, so I'm not going to complain too much. Yeah. Like, I get yeah. to write superhero comics, that's work. But when it's, um, when I think I started treating it more like, um, it never actually happened. That was the whole thing. I didn't actually fully burn out. I didn't actually, like, I hate this. That's good. Going, you can go back to it then. Right. You don't no, hate I it. Can. Yeah. But I, I, what it, what I realized is that it, it took me a while to realize, oh, no, no, I, I'm, I'm actually a cartoonist. I need, I'm, I'm someone who needs to draw. Yes. And one day and your child will be old enough to read Batman. He's almost there. <laughs> he asks me about once a month. Comes up a lot because yeah. he knows, like, that's the story of a giant Hilo. I asked if I could read Batman. My dad said no. Yeah. And then I read Bone and loved it, and dad got jealous. So he made Hilo. Interesting. Just kind of the story. Yeah, yeah. Is, does he um, does he get to play a part in, uh, in sort of the editorial process? Oh, yeah. We talk about it a lot. Yeah. We talk about it a lot. I mean, he, was, he, was the, he and my wife were the first people who read it. Um, and uh, for the most part, that was just I was waiting for his endorsement. Yeah. And, but then we talk about it. I mean, now and again, he might say, I don't understand this part. You know, and he's a smart kid. And if he's not getting something, sure. um, you know, then I know, yeah. like, we got to totally relook at it. My, my, he campaigns for ideas, but his ideas are so far-fetched. They're so wonderfully, like, you should, you know, he's not dumb. He knows I can't put yeah. Luke Skywalker in there. Sure. But something like that, Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my daughter was more specific. She's six years old, and she wanted a cat. There should be a cat character in here. And uh, she have a lightsaber. She kind of. Yeah. She sort of won that argument. There is a cat in the next yeah. book. Uh, you know, a talking cat who sounds like you know who's a warrior. But um, it was totally her idea. I, I I worked real hard. Said like I will try and figure something out. I was like, oh, you know what? Shit! I think she's going to yeah. get her way. I think I could do something here. And six books. There's bound to be a cat somewhere. There's you the know way. one that talks and you know shoots energy beams yeah. out of a staff. That's gonna. That's the cat. <laughs> um, this actually this kind of relates to Bone because you know famously Jeff Smith, before he sat down to write it, had the last panel worked out. Right, he yeah. knew what the end was. He knew where, where he was working toward. I mean, this is a pretty, you know, these are decently sized books. There's six of them. That's a yeah. pretty ambitious product uh, process. I mean, do, do you? How far in advance do you, do you know where it's going? Does it is there a reason why it's six? Was that just a deal with the publisher? No, I know I know exactly yeah. where it's going. I, I know I actually know the last scenes. I know the last scenes better than I know mm. what's going to happen in the fifth book. Like I'm I'm drawing the third one. I'm mentally walking around with the fourth one. You know, book five is sort of I you know it's kind of floating around there. I have some ideas, but no, yeah. I know where it ends. It's all happened. It's interesting. I have a really good editor named uh, Shana Corey, and uh, when when Random House bought the series, they based on the first book. Um, they bought the series, and um, a number hadn't been assigned to how long the series yeah. would be. They bought it. It was a three-book deal. But knowing it would be more, my original sort of pitch was like, yeah, we do like 20 of these, and it'll be like episodic television. We just keep going. It's like I know where that's, you know, it's going to end, and I know how the story progresses, but it'll be like Monster of the Week. I can actually talk shorthand to you. So it'll be like Monster of the yeah. Week as we keep chugging along with each book. Yeah. And it was Shane who said, yeah, you know, I kind of wanted the story to move forward faster, like this, and, I mean, and an arc rather than just yeah, kind of running off no, the side. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. like let's actually with every book we should get closer to the ending. I said okay. I said yeah. She goes yeah. Go. Yeah. Sit down and th- figure it out. 
fi- find out what it is. And so when I broke the story down, it's like, well, if I end, you know, literally, you know, like if I end it here, if I move this part there, like with each book realizing like, like where do we plant our flag? Like what part of Hilo is Because in general, Hilo, just to explain it, he uh, doesn't, you know, he has no memory. So he doesn't remember where he came from or what planet he came from or why he's here. And he has flashbacks of what came before. So um, we find out with each book more and more about his past. And by the end, we fully realize and know who and what he was. And there's a bigger story involved um, that still doesn't, it doesn't get any more complicated or intense for kids. I wasn't going to ever do that. It'll still be funny. It'll still be the same level of interest. But there'll be, the story will be richer. I guess another way of saying it is by book four, you can't yeah. jump in on book four. You could probably jump in on book two if you want to, or book three. They're kind of all, they'll all be standalones a little bit. By book four, you'll be lost. We'll be so far into the story. But, yeah, Shane is the one who pushed me to actually see the beginning, middle, and end of it. And uh, it's, it's something I'm so grateful for. Yeah. I think it was part of it. I developed these muscles for doing a monthly book, which is like, no, we can just keep going. And uh, being given the opportunity and sort of just the order of, like, it's like no, man. Just see, see how see how you play to the ending. It's like you also didn't want to commit yourself to. Let's be honest, a twenty book. I mean, that's that's <laughs> kind of you know you're going to be seventy by the time. You uh, yeah, I'd be the oldest man yeah. around, and just like yeah, they, yeah, no, just I would just be shitting it out yeah. at the end. I'm sure yeah, yeah, yeah. she had a much better idea. Like no, I think this will work. I think you'll be happier in the yeah. end. I am too because as I push the story along. Um, it's way more fun to actually like give up the store sometimes. Like, no, we're gonna, you know, now I'm gonna tell them this, and the story changes. The next book is gonna be way different than the last yeah. one because now you know this. Now we're like, yep, the characters have kind of changed. Something's happened. A dynamic is is, is now is a different dynamic in play, and like, it's cool. It made it fun for me as a storyteller, um, and uh, you know, and not just the story about like literally what I get to draw. It's, it's, you know, over and over again, like something yeah. else will happen. We're going yeah. to a whole new place now, and it'll be fun. So my fa- I, I, this is a, a, a topic I bring up a lot in, in the podcast, but we had uh, Jaime Hernandez on, and, and he said at one point, and this is stuck with me, it comes up all the time when I'm talking to cartoonists, is, you know, if you're going to sit down and commit yourself to a book, you should draw something you want to draw over and over again. In Love and Rockets, there's a lot of beautiful women in cars, for example. <laughs> yeah. So you get to draw, you know, monsters and laser beams. And yeah, for me, I... I I like drawing kids. Yeah. Uh, I just do. I think they're really, really expressive. And, uh, yeah, and you'll see lots of monsters and robots. Yeah. And uh, if I get tired of the monsters and robots, we'll move on to other things. Sounds like you're having fun, though. I'm having so much fun. Yeah. I can't even begin to tell you that the level of fun I'm, I'm having. That uh, I, mean, I talk about it now. Like, I'm on, I'm on a book tour, and I actually, yeah. I go to, that's the other thing. I, I go to schools, and I get to talk to 200 kids, and, uh, which is something I never really got to do. And I love talking to kids. I love children, and I love telling them this story. Um, and not even, and I'm being really, really honest about it, not even like I'm trying to sell them on the book. I like telling them the story. <laughs> it's it's in mind if they pick up a copy. It doesn't suck because then yeah. I get to keep telling it. Yeah. But my days of now, you know, when I'm not here doing this, I wasn't here today, I would be in my studio yeah. uh, drawing this book while listening to podcasts or maybe half-watching reruns of mash on netflix and this is a really good life i really enjoy yeah. that when 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 was it clear that 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 was a path when was it clear that you know you weren't just gonna be a writer you weren't just gonna be a, an artist when, when when was it clear that comics were what you wanted to do um again kind of happened by accident i think the first thing i wanted to do, i always wanted to do comic strips yeah 
that's the that was my vocation. That's the job I wanted. When I was in college, I did a daily strip while I was still in school. I was doing it five days a week for the college paper, and I loved it. Um, and that's what I always wanted to do. I think what changed there was two things. One, um, I got syndicated, and there was pushback from papers and editors of papers that they didn't want comic strips to do weekly themes anymore. The best comic strips around were like Peanuts, where they'd concentrate on like one idea for sure. a week. It'd be a continuing yeah. story for yeah. six days. Bloom County, Doonesbury, yeah. for better or for worse. Versus R- Rex Morgan. Yeah, there you go. Rex <laughs> Morgan. Worth. Which, yeah. yes, which we read and didn't understand, yeah, but we read yeah, anyway because yeah, yeah. it's on the funny page. Yeah. Um, there was pushback about doing more gag cartoons that like, well, someone might not have read the paper on Monday, might not follow the story. Mm. So I was getting a lot of that and it was also, this was a few years out from the real world and I'd, I'd been... I spent about two years in change um, touring and lecturing uh, AIDS education and talking about Pedro Zamora. Yeah. And these two things were weighing on me. One, I felt I had this weird feeling that uh, Pedro's story was not out there anymore. Um, it was like, it's like five years out from the show. There have been and five more seasons yeah, of the world. Yeah, on yeah, TV. and yeah. it's sort of, I really yeah. felt like I, and every time people came up to talk to us, it's like, you know, they want to know, like, you know, and, and you guys still do age education? And I'm having to lie to them. And, you know, what I'm saying is, like, yeah, I did it for two years. And it, was, it got to be really, really hard. Yeah. Just emotionally to, like, get up on, you know, sure. go someplace and, you know, talk about all of it again. And so it was around that time that I was sort of becoming disenchanted with doing comic strips, which surprised me more than anybody. And thinking about, like, maybe I could do this. And it was actually the first time that I told a long-form story with cartoons. And when I finished the first draft, I realized, like, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know what? I, I think I want to try doing this. It's like, um, you know, it's like, what? I don't know if there's a job or money in this. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, going off and trying to be a cartoonist who does comic books. Like, I don't draw superhero comics. I'm never going to be able to do that. I knew that. I never, I'm never going to be able to do that. But I think maybe there's a story I can tell here. When I finished Pedro and me, my emotional catharsis was turning around and doing Barry Ween. Where it's like, I'm going to do a funny, dirty fucking comic. I'm going to do one for me now. Yeah. Like, just totally, you know. And uh, what was fun, like, I finished doing it and I showed it to Pam, who was my girlfriend at the time. We were living together. She's like, this is really funny. Like, you, how much fun did you have doing this? I said, I had so much fun <laughs> doing this. She goes, just do this. Yeah. You know, and that, like, in between Pedro and me and Barry Ween, that's sort of like somewhere in there. You know, Bob Shrek is asking me, like, do you like superhero comics? I know you do this stuff. I was like, man, I grew up reading superhero comics. I still read superhero comics. It's like, well, you know. Um, so it, I was just sort of just following the, the story that, you know, the, the path that storytelling took me. So may, may, maybe the one piece of advice to pass on to people is date and marry a successful, supportive doctor. That's what everyone should do. I advise everybody to do that. Um, <laughs> I mean, at the time, she was... Like me, she's like, she's like broken in residency, yeah. and I'm like, you know, broke, and we're living in a tiny apartment in San Francisco. Um, but we didn't, we didn't need much, <laughs> you know. And uh, I think uh, we've both been—I mean, hell, we've been all both been very, very lucky. You yeah. know, we won the lottery in the sense that like we met on a reality TV yeah. show. After that, everything else is easy. You know, <laughs> you can handle anything after, after living with Puck for a year. Yeah. <laughs> Six months, actually three, three months, less than three months. <laughs> Let me ask you: we, we, we can we can end on this. It's, it's sure. something that I've always kind of been curious about. You know, I um, I read 
heartbreaking work of staggering genius. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Dave Eggers talks about how I guess he was one of the sort of finalists for the role that that you took ultimately right. on the show. Sure. Um, you know, and, and and we all have these turning points in our life. You know, but very few of them. You know, I could probably think of maybe four or five over the course of my life where it's like that was the moment. Like, you know, that was kind of a fork in the road. Um, I mean, clearly you go on the real world. This is a life changer right. And right. for you for, you know, several reasons. Um, I mean, you know, obviously aside from meeting your wife, mm-hmm. um, ultimately was it a change for the better? I mean, especially as you were sort of, you know, I, I assume that, you sort of had to deal with the same sort of thing that anybody on a reality show has to deal with, which is like, yeah, I'm trying to be a cartoonist, but I'm the guy from the real world yeah. being a cartoonist. Yeah, so it's, well, a couple of things. One, it was one of the few times in my life, you know, we often get to look back and say, like, that was very, very important. Like, yeah. that was a turning point for me. I was standing in my parents' kitchen, like, you know, I'd... Um, I had, I had a development deal with uh, Universal Press Syndicate to do a comic strip, and they dropped me. They didn't want to do it. I had to move back in with my mom and dad. Mm. So I'm there, and I'm trying out for the real world. So I'm standing in their kitchen when I get the phone call, and they're asking me, like, you know, so would you like to be a cast member of Real World 3 San Francisco? And, like, yes, yes, I would. And knowing that, like, my life is never going to be yeah. the same. This you, is you, knew it, you knew it ahead of time. Yeah, case, like, yeah. it's like I'm going to be on yeah. TV, and yeah. things are something's going to happen. It's things are going to change. Like I'm not, you know, I'm going to be a little bit famous from now on. Cause I'm going to be on this, 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 this crazy show. Yeah. I had no idea how much my life would change. I didn't know that I was, you know, uh, I didn't know I was going to meet Pedro Zamora who would have this, uh, you know, who would, would change my own personal worldview and also just be a part of, you know, someone's life who changed how people think across the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. it was it was yeah. being part of something that was very, very much larger than me. Of course, I didn't see that coming, um, and that was amazing. And then I met my wife, which I do have many, many days where I shudder to think if out of the thirty thousand people mm-hmm. who tried out for the show, if I didn't get on there, I wouldn't have met Pam. Yeah, we wouldn't have gotten married, and we have two children who are here on the planet. There's like, it's a scary thought. Like, oh my god, like that close to none of this happening. Um, so that's the big stuff. Sure, the little stuff, work wise, the director of uh, of our season, George Vashore. Uh, told me just when we were like wrapping things up like the, we'd finished filming and sometime after the rap party or whatever the hell it was like he like had a take me aside moment and said listen what this is going to do mm. it's going to open doors for you it's going to open lots of doors but you're going to have to walk through them yeah so yeah. and it was sort of his like you know so man up and you and can't get, expect that they're going to be open forever no like yeah. yeah they're just you know and for me it was there was a lot of like fun little happenstance. Like I met Bob Shrek. I was t- I was I was at the San Diego Comic Con in 1995, um, I think. Oni Press had just launched. Bob Shrek had left Dark Horse Comics, launched Oni Press. The first thing they were going to do was a Clerks comic that Kevin Smith was writing. Mm-hmm. This is Kevin Smith's first yeah. Comic Con as a professional. They were there. They didn't have a comic yet. They were like giving out little freebies, and they were selling a script book which had. The, the script from Clerks and Chasing Amy in one book. That's pretty much what you got. 
And I was waiting online to meet Kevin Smith because I was hoping what happened often that that I would meet somebody sort of famous or that I liked and say, hey, how you doing? I'm Judd. They go, hey, aren't you that guy from? Yes, I yep. am that guy. Yep. And I have some kind of honest exchange or we actually get to know one another. Like, the door opens. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to be friends with Kevin Smith. Sure. So I'm waiting online. Give him the book. Who should I inscribe this to? And I said, Judd. Nothing. And he goes, just Judd? I go, um, no, could, could you make it out to Judd and Pam? And they're like, there, so I'll get it. And he just writes to Judd and Pam, who gets the book if you guys break <laughs> up? That's Kevin Smith. He gives it back to me. I'm like, okay, so so that didn't happen. Yeah. So Kevin has no idea who I am, right? So I don't get to meet Kevin Smith. And I step offline. Technically, you got to meet Kevin Smith. I did. I didn't have to have, I didn't have a proper exchange sure. with Kevin, though. You wrote though. a funny thing in your book. And, you and that on. was it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I met yeah. Kevin. Kevin didn't get to meet sure. me, though. He didn't meet His me. It, it, it's, yeah. it, this is about me, mm-hmm. um, as I often thought back then. But when I got offline, um, I mean, literally a line for those playing at home, not yeah. a computer. Yes. Um, You're from New York. So there's this cat. Yeah. Uh, staring at me, he's like, like giving me the "I recognize you" stare, and I point, I point at him, and he gives me the nod. I walk over, I said, "I said, hey. he goes, aren't you good? Yeah, hey, I'm Judd Winnick. He goes, "Hey, how are you? I'm Bob Shrek." I go, "I'm thinking, holy shit, you're Bob Shrek. Yep. How are you?" Yep. I've seen that name. <laughs> in yeah, the of books. No, it's like, yeah. it's like, oh, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. no, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, well, you're Frank Miller's editor. Yes, Bob, I know exactly who you are. Um, and then we start start shooting the shit, um, and uh, and we became friends before he. You know, asked me to like do any work, and the whole thing was like, "So what are you doing now?" It's like I'm doing a comic strip for Greater Syndicate. It's in papers, and they said, "What would you yeah, like?" And he then like read some of the samples I happen to have. Yeah. And you know, a couple of days after the con, calls me and says, "Hey, do you want to do like an inside front cover? We're doing. We're just asking cartoonists to do like a one pager. Would you do that?" Like, yeah. And um, I did the one pager, and Bob and I kept in contact. And when I finished a draft of Pedro, I, mean, I sent it to him because I wanted his honest opinion. And um, that's how that started. I mean, he wanted to publish it. And he said, so when you get a real publisher and you can't have me do it, um, just let me be your first phone call to, <laughs> to a non-family member yeah. and let me know. It's like, yeah. But if it all goes to shit, no one else wants to publish it yeah. like, on yeah. the mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. we'll do it here. Um, but it was sometime after that that Bob left Oni, went to DC Comics, and gave me that call. So, again... The door that was open was Bob Shrek recognized me while I was trying to become friends with Kevin Smith. And then Bob and I became friends. And two years later, he hires me. Or, no, sorry. Five years later, he hires me to do uh, Green Arrow. Green Lantern for DC. (laughs) That's all it took. Green Hornet, yeah. Green Hornet. We joked about that when we finished up our Green Arrow runs. Like, we've got to fucking do Green Hornet, man. We've done Green Lantern. We've done Green Arrow. There's one green cat out there still. we still got to do overwhelmingly positive fallout from being on that show. Yeah. No, it's been, again, I've been very, very, very lucky. And there isn't a minute that, you know, I, I, to say I regret it is like, you know, I don't know what the null, complete opposite of, of, of regret could possibly be. But I've gotten everything out of doing, yeah. of doing that. Everything that's really, really important to me came from just being lucky enough to actually be on this, this reality television show. You know, 21 years ago, when it was just the real world and Cops, the only reality shows on there. <laughs> you remember Cops? I do. <laughs> it's slightly different. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That was a fantastic conversation with the wonderful Judd Winnick. Uh, that was one of those conversations where going into it, I, I wasn't quite sure, you know, what Judd would and wouldn't be comfortable speaking about. Uh, like like many people of my general age range, I, I, I first became familiar with Judd through the real world San Francisco 
uh, have a very very seminal season of that MTV reality show for me. I was, uh, I was a kid at the time. It was happening in, in San Francisco, and, and Judd was a, a very important part of that program, both through his relationship with Pedro uh, Zamora, who uh, was openly gay and, and HIV, HIV positive, which was, weren't things... I'm like describing this like it was it, it happened a hundred years ago, but you know, even in I think it was like uh, 19, 1994, even even at that point in the in the mid nineties, these were still things that you know weren't appearing on television very much. And then you know, Judd himself uh, was 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 very important because here was this this cartoonist, this here was, here was somebody who you know was showing us that that maybe there was a kind of a world outside of you know. I guess uh, you know Im- Image Comics and, and DC and Marvel. Uh, you know, outside of these sort of mainstream superhero books, there were people out there making independent art comics, and so you know he was doing that through the series. And then after uh, the Real World ended, he came out with uh, with Pedro Me, which was a, an incredibly important book. Um, so I, you know, wasn't quite sure how much of that he wanted to speak about, but you know, so he, he brought that up on on his own, and I kind of I jumped on that a little bit because I you know had some questions there. One of the things that's always been really fascinating to me about uh, about that whole situation was um, having read the Dave Eggers book, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, where he describes the fact that he was actually one of the finalists for the. I don't want to say role, but I, but I guess you know Judd Judd spot in the house, the, you know the kind of the, the the, the wacky artist. Um, it's one of those things that I've always kind of wondered about. I mean, you know, this is a, this is a very specific moment that you can point to where, in a lot of ways, your, you know, your world is completely different, both through the people you've met, but you know, also also professionally, whether or not going on a show like that was a was a good thing for him. Um, for a lot of people, a lot of people who who go on these reality shows, you know, things don't end up very well, but obviously. That's not the case with him. He's had a very, uh, very successful career as a cartoonist, as an animator. Um, he, he, he was the, the, uh, the creator and, and lead writer on a, a popular uh, Cartoon Network show. Um, you know, he's, he's been doing he's been doing some like mainstream work. We talked about the, uh, some of the stuff he's been doing with uh, with, with DC, um, some of the kind of Oni books, the smaller books that he's been doing at the same time, and then of course. Uh, Hilo, which just came out and is really, really a wonderful book. It's the first book in a in an ongoing series of, uh, of kids books, and it's, it's great to see him doing some stuff for younger readers. Uh, so, really, really fascinating conversation. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to do that. Really, really enjoyed that. Uh, thanks to Brian, as always, for editing the show together. Thanks to everybody, the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like this show, many other fine shows that you can check out over at boingboing.net or over at iTunes. And we uh, have. Yeah, I always mention this, but this is uh, the last show of the year. So please, 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 if you liked what you heard, go on to iTunes. Take a, take a minute or two out of your day. Give us uh, give us some stars over there. Rate it if you have, uh, a, a, you know, three minutes as opposed to two minutes. Uh, really appreciate the feedback in it. And it helps a lot when we're sending the show out to people and, and, and trying to get uh, folks to come on if we can show them that we've got a lot of people listening. Uh, if you have any feedback, it's rwildcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Tumblr. That's rwildcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your R-I-Y-L-related information. Like us on Facebook. Um, and that's, I guess, uh, about all I've got for uh, for, for 2015. 
2015. So thanks everyone so much. Uh, thanks. Thanks to all the new listeners. Thanks to all the folks who have been with us since the beginning. Uh, really, really enjoyed doing this. Um, I think, uh, some easily, easily some of my favorite shows have happened in the past year. Many more to come. We'll see you in, uh, 2016, just about this time next week. Another episode of ROIL.